Welcome again, everyone. This is Eddie Harold, your fearless leader. Welcome to our Life with Breath Expert Series. Hello again, friends. Super excited to spend an hour with you. And this month, we have the amazing Beth Sewell. And this woman is almost beyond description in regard to the power, integrity, knowledge, and love that she can uh, mirror to you uh, in these challenging times. So before we dive into this amazing podcast with Beth, let's just take a minute or two to get ourselves centered and connect with our breath so we can maximize the, the energy and time that we are going to exchange. So just sitting up tall in your spine, sitting up tall in your mind. Become aware of this breath that's been gifted to you by the sacred spirits of the past. And just begin to breathe slower and feel your surroundings. If you're familiar with the ocean sounding breath, the Ujjayi breath from the yoga traditions, Allow that soft tone to form in your throat and just anchor yourself in the awareness that's present for you right now. And as you begin the process of inhale, stabilize the mental world. Explore that neutral space between inhale and exhale. Exhale, relax your belly and feel that inner fire, that inner passion to achieve your birth goals in this lifetime. And then notice that beautiful gap between the end of the exhale, the completion of this amazing gifted moment before we inhale another fresh opportunity. If there's anything you need to discard from your mind to be fully present for the next hour, See if you can turn the volume down on that cognitive thread. And we can revisit that in a little bit. It's fine. It's going to work itself out. Just another round or two. And just see if you can become aware of maybe some of the more sensitive drives that are available to us in the deeper layers of the belly, the deeper layers of the human heart, and the deeper layers of the top of the human brain.
And on the next exhale, we're going to exhale with an audible sigh, relax, and we're going to begin this amazing program. Deep breath in. Let it all go. Smile. You're you. Thank you. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we have someone who's... who's had a profound effect on my life, my family's life, my children's life, and just about anyone who's met Beth Sewell, she's had an effect on your life, and it's going to expand even more here today. Beth Sewell is a highly skilled practitioner and teacher of the ancient sciences of Ayurvedic and yoga, therapeutic energy healing, and intuitive readings. With over 25 years of advanced training and experience under her her belt, she has proven to be an effective in both private practice and corporate settings. Beth uses this knowledge in tandem with her deep intuitive abilities to lead conscious seekers across the globe in healing and transformation. This sets her apart from other intuitive practitioners, and she's able to strongly support the transcendental and mystical aspects of healing with tried and tested traditional wisdom and science. Her approach is to help her clients and students identify patterns, programming, and obstacles, keeping them from reaching their pure potential. She guides them in overcoming resistance to change, a lack of resilience, and a lack of support by building core practices that reinforce personal growth, empowerment, education, which leads to permanent change. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome Beth Sewell to the Life with Breath Expert Series. Yes. Thank you. Hello. Hi, everybody. How are you today? I'm good. Really, really good. How about you? Oh, I'm so excited to dive into (laughs) the battle between Agni and Ama. But before we get into that, if you could share just a little bit about the event that took place yesterday afternoon with your automobile. That sounds like that was a really AMA building event. What the heck happened out there? Um, So I live in Chester County, Pennsylvania on the East Coast. And uh, we had some pretty torrential rain and uh, about almost six inches in a matter of hours. And uh, the little creeks and uh, rivers gave way and we got caught in a flash flood in our car. And... um, we're rescued by the amazing uh, first responders here in Chester County. Shout out to Downingtown firemen. Um, and uh, we crawled out of the windows of our cars as the, uh, as the water was rushing. And um, it, was, it was quite an event, put things in perspective. And uh, we're all safe, we're all well. And, um, but yeah, yeah, that, that definitely, uh, that got the heart rate going. <laughs> Man, your life is anything but boring. <laughs> Yeah. It's, Are we able to laugh about it now? Or is there, or is there still any residual like, oh, my God? Now, Ed, we were laughing about it then. Um, you know, my daughter, not so much. She didn't think it was that funny. She's 14. And that was her first sort of uh, act of God sort of, you know, being in the middle of something like that, a storm like that. Um, so it was a little trying for her. Um but my husband and I have definitely been through worse and put things in perspective immediately. My husband was driving. He, you know, um, we just got caught in it and um, we we kind of were laughing 
from the get-go and um, staying calm. And seriously, I know guys, this sounds like a cliche, but we used our breath. We stayed calm. We stayed in control of our nervous system. We were laughing with the firemen. We crawled out on our own and trudged through the rib deep water and um, we were still laughing. And what are you gonna do? You gotta take life in stride. And luckily we have a lot of tools to do that. And so the car's totaled. Um, we'll be purchasing a new vehicle and, um, but our insurance company has been great. And it's, you know, if things have to be bad, it, it put things in perspective actually that there are people even here in our own country that live in that state of stress um, and adrenaline rush and just those stress hormones bathing their organs and that feeling of hypervigilance every day, all day. And um, so it was one more thing that made me feel really grateful that I had a home and dry, warm clothes to come home to and food and, um, and safety and friends who came rescuing to pick us up in the middle of town to bring us home. And so we're all good, we're all good. Wow, you know, every time I'm around you, I always have this amazing gratitude and appreciation for being in a body, you know, for being able to have a, a human experience. You know, you're one of those uh, helpers, sort of speak. You have a ten. You love people. You love to be that supporting uh, spoke on that individual's wheel of awareness. You know, were you naturally drawn to the healing? arts when you were younger or was it something that manifested itself as life unfolded for you? It was. Yeah. I, um, I was never actually drawn to it. It was never something I said, Oh, I'm going to go take a Reiki class or I'm interested in this. It was a, it was an evolution of need, um, where, um, I grew up pretty hypervigilant. Um, I, it was one of those deals, which I think a lot of kids are dealing with today. Um, in our current culture where, um, you know, everything's driven to succeed and because of social media, it's hide your mess and make everything look great. And so at a really young age, I was pretty hypervigilant and had to develop extra sense perception to kind of read the room and try to mitigate or mediate what the environment was. My parents were under a lot of stress. They didn't have a lot of coping skills. Um, and uh, I think, you know, even my mother struggled with some mental health. I think that went undiagnosed and, you know, just sort of built. I had a roof over my head. I had food. I was very well taken care of. I kind of had the best of everything growing up. Um, and yet behind closed doors, it was a pretty stressful environment. And so and then, you know, keeping up the facade. And so um, it started out with me developing higher sense perception and um, being able to see, feel, and hear things beyond our what we consider our typical spectrum, um, just because I was really trying to pay attention. And so beyond our normal five senses, I developed that. And I don't think that's too uncommon. I think a lot of people today that we call empathic or end up as helpers, end up in the healing industry, are people that were super hypervigilant most of their life. And what they developed in their empathy is one, um, the ability to perceive when something is out of balance or incongruence so they can keep themselves safe um, and try to be proactive in making decisions. And two, um, a level of empathy where they don't ever want anybody to feel the pain that they had. Um, and so they, we commit um, to trying to heal ourselves so that we can show up as the best version of ourselves and, you know, contribute to a solution 
versus, you know, being burdensome or um, causing any pain to anyone else. And so I went into healing modalities over the years um, from years of um, just trying to get my mind clear and my heart clear and to have clear perception and right relationship with myself. And um, that's still a work in progress, honestly. And so I went deep into study in the ancient tradition. Um, I've been studying for almost 30 years. And so I do this for a living because if anything that I have learned and that has helped me can then help someone else, then bonus. Um, but yeah, that's how I that's how I got there. It was actually out of necessity. That's a beautiful story. Congratulations. And I know there's still more great things to come. When I first met you, I met you through my wife, Wendy, and you were already amazing yogi and you were tuning into the ethers, getting information and processing that information uh, smoothly. Uh, one thing that really rocked my world when I first met you was your relationship with the Lakota tribe and, you know, the, the chanting and the and the Indian traditions and the American Indian traditions. And I just found that amazing. It was so powerful. How did you get drawn into those modalities? Um, well, again, you know, that was the same kind of thing. I was having a lot of dreams um, and experiences. And so I wrote to um, one of our First Nations people um, and it was a process of back and forth. He was good enough to reply. Um, he would never call himself a medicine person. Um, he was an elder in the in the Pine Ridge Reservation and the Sioux Tribe, and um, ended up being a very good friend and mentor to me. He was good enough to come out to the East Coast and um, spend quite a few years with us, on and off, um, and with my family. And um, there, you know, our First Nations people, our Indigenous people, are so in tune with natural life. They are, you know, we study Ayurveda, which is a 5,000 plus year old sister science. It's actually the mother of all medicine. Ayurveda translates to the science of life, um, which is really all about, it's this ancient tool and techniques and philosophy around bringing yourself into harmony with nature, right? And microcosm, macrocosm, and what's going on outside is going on inside. And you really want to bring yourself into harmony with nature for well-being. And, you know, luckily that was all written down for us um, over thousands of years. And um, but our our First Nations people knew that they lived it. Um, they celebrated it. They um, had ceremony to give thanks, to purify, to pray, to connect with spirit. Um, and so when I started studying, that very much attracted me and I just sort of was reaching out. Um, but that one, especially that was my first immersion into healing was um, with the Sioux people and, um, and their gifts of just truly understanding through generational wealth and storytelling um, about how to stay in, in connection with nature and how to be in dialogue with mother earth and the sun and the moon and the waters and the four-legged and, um, and to realize that, um, you know, the Sioux have a saying, um, which means we are all relation. We're all connected in this web. And so it's all the same, Ed. It's all the same. You study Ayurveda or, you know, um, natural healing or, you know, First Nations people's spirituality. Um, it all comes back to the same thing that, that we are one. It's beautiful. And so, yeah. 
you know, people ask me all the time, you know, where do you come up with all these new pranayama sequences? Mm-hmm. And you know, I say to them, my practice is to try to remember what a group of people were doing 5,000 years ago on top of a mountain in the Himalayas. I'm not trying to learn anything new. I'm trying to remember what those cats were doing because that's yeah. where the super powerful stuff is. We don't have to learn anything new. We just have to unearth and study our history and remember where, you know, where we came from. Super that's right. Cool. Yeah. So today we're going to talk about two things that are, you don't hear a lot, but require, uh, I, I think, some awareness to help folks understand a little bit about how the body works. And number one, we're going to talk about Agni, sometimes called digestive fire. And we can talk about Ama, which is sometimes the excessive buildup that takes place inside the body or the subtle systems of the body. You know, a lot of people in in the West might look at this as the discussion between alkalinity, pure, healthy blood coming from the gut and acidity waste, uh, higher levels of toxins in our blood. But when we talk about Agni and Ama, there's such a richer world there about how these energy systems interact in regard to keeping us present, keeping us in that rhythm of Mother Nature. We're on Earth, and this is her planet, and these bodies come from these great spirits. And if we can tune in to this Agni and Ama with the awarenesses that you're going to share with us. I think we're going to have a few more keys when this hour is over to really help us understand how the mind might work. So just kind of start wherever you feel would be a beautiful entry level to explain a little bit about Agni. Yeah. um, So, you know, it sounds complex because we're actually, Ed and I are using words like Agni and Ama and Prana. Um, I'm sure you've heard Ed with his other people and any of his work talking about prana and pranayama. Um, Ed is the pranayama king. Um, But it's actually a different language. Um, So don't beat yourself up if you've never heard it or you don't understand it. Agni is actually a Sanskrit word, um, the language of of yoga and Ayurveda. Um, That just means the fire of transformation. It's it's pretty much the potential of fire in the universe. That's what Agni is. So not just the element of fire, but it's all heat, transformation, electricity, and fire in the universe. It is the power of transformation. Um, And there are many different kinds of fires. There's many different kinds of Agni. Um, Our topic today was the role of Agni and Ama and breath in alternative healing. Um, we are in a time where Reiki and energy work and shamanic healing and alternative modes, um, especially with social media, all kinds of healing is just sort of exploding and people are looking outside of allopathic medicine for some models and paths to follow. And we wanted to talk a little bit today with you about um, these fundamental things, breaking it down to its foundational fundamental aspects, um, because it's actually, there's a lot of science behind it. There's definitely the woo-woo aspects of energy healing um, and alternative healing and things we don't have all the answers for yet. Um, But so far as assimilation and transformation and actual effective healing 
at the root, um, we actually, we do understand a little bit better these days. And so Agni is a huge part of that. And so Agni, this transformational fire, the one thing um, we would want you to take away from today is the mother Agni, Jatara Agni, um, we would say in Ayurveda is in the belly. It's the, the, the fire in the belly or the small intestine, actually. It's the digestive process in the body, in the physiological body. And we talk a lot about nutrition, right? There's a big conversation on macros and the right thing to eat and food combining and um, you know what to eat, how to eat, when to eat. And Ayurveda has information and guidance on all of that, which is incredible wisdom. But what we want to take away from this is that we have to have Agni in order to assimilate, absorb, or transform anything. You have to have that digestive fire. So not only do we digest the food with our Agni, our digestive fire, or the fire in the belly, but we digest every thought, action, emotion, and experience in the belly as well. And we um, we need those agnis. There are there are individual agnis, individual fires in each of our trillions of cells, and the role that breath has here, and why Ed so graciously graciously invited me on with what I do, is because there can be no transformation without breath. Agni can't exist without breath, and you've all experienced that. Um, if you've ever tried to light a fire, a campfire, and you don't have enough air, right? If it's smoldering and you want it to catch so that you can digest the wood and have a fire, assimilate the wood that you're going to put on the fire, you have to have some air. You kind of get down on your hands and knees and you blow on it. And so breath is actually vital, critical to any type of healing in the body, whether you're talking about Western allopathic healing and healing your tissues, um, or if you're talking about alternative roles in healing, such as energy work. Energy is just another word for prana. Um, prana is that vital animating life force that is intelligent and patient and kind and all knowing and prana rides on the breath and they're all connected. And so starting with Agni, that digestive fire, it is absolutely critical to our health and well-being to have a strong fire burning in the belly, um, technically in the small intestine, but the big one, um, but in all of our cells so that we can be in right relationship with ourselves, our body and each other. Um, the root of right perception, clear perception. Beautiful. So well said. Folks, when you get a chance to do the playback, make sure you play this that part back there twice because it's simply brilliant. You know, when we're speaking of Agni and, and digestive fire <clears throat> through the Ayurvedic perspective, which is basically the body is a self-healing mechanism, uh, when we think about the intelligence that's stored in the gut, you know, a lot of neuroscientists say that, you know, all the thoughts are in our hindbrain. You know, they're in our subconscious. I think actually the subconscious is in the body. The body remembers all those thought patterns. And, you know, having a high level of Agni, gastric fire, with a low heart rate really gives us the opportunity to do some transformational work. So when we're Absolutely. speaking of Agni, and for just for today's audience, are we speaking about digestive enzymes and, and heating matter energy that we can see underneath a microscope? Or is this a more subtle form of energy 
that uh, the researchers today can't actually see. So I love that you um, that you asked that question and you put it that way. We're talking about both, um, mm -hmm. just sort of how we said our First Nations people um, say we are all relation. There is no separation. Um, they are layered on top of each other. And in yoga, in Ayurveda, we call them the koshas. Um, and so we're talking about both. I, th I, I, don't, I don't think we can separate them out, Ed. I think we need to talk about the digestive enzymes and that fire of Agni, the mother Agni, and the heat of those digestive um, enzymes and that assimilation um, process. Um, that Agni governs how that food that we eat is broken down and then what bodily systems, um, what tissues get what part of the food um, and when and how and how the tissues are fed and reproduced. And so that's the part we can see underneath the microscope. And there is always, you know, everything in creation comes from ether. It comes from the subtle level and then manifests, expresses itself into gross level of being. So the microscopic level and the gross level, the building blocks of our body. Um, but that subtle, um, realm. We definitely want to talk about that Agni as well, the, the Agnis that we can't see, that we um, we can measure by the quality of our life and our physiology. And we want to talk about those because everything happens in the subtle realm first before it accumulates in the coffee yeah. body, in, in the tissues. And so if we can catch something, if we can catch an imbalance, we have that discernment. If our Agni is high, um, and, um, you know, we just, even if our Agni is high, we're eating well, we're taking care of ourselves, life happens. You know, sometimes life asks us to bite off, chew, and swallow more than we're capable of, right? And so when you eat more than you can digest and your Agni is overwhelmed, your digestive fire is overwhelmed, that's what creates the state of Ama. Um, you know, the, the other one of the three things we'll talk about today, which is that toxic waste um, that if we are not able to evacuate it, or release it through our um, through our bowel or our urine, our breath um, or our sweat, we accumulate it. It'll be reabsorbed back into the body and deposited in the tissues, um, including the nervous system. It ends up as plaque. Um, in the body, and we all know what that can do. Um, and so I think it's important that we recognize and educate each other on the subtle levels of digestive fire of Agni, as well as the grosser levels of Agni, which I think are more mainstream. I think nutritionists are talking about the need for digestive enzymes. and But what Agni is also responsible for on a little bit more of a subtle level, you talked about neuroscience, is neurotransmitters. Um, so if our Agni is not high and we're not assimilating um, what our, our sensory information that we're taking in, including our nutrition, we don't have the ability to reach in yoga what we call harsha or joy um, because we don't have those chemicals um, being, you know, that uptake in our belly and going to our brain. Um, so it's it's. It's complex. Um, it's a complex system, but that's why we kind of want to break it down to Agni, Ama, and Prana today. If you can take a look at those three things and understand that you have a digestive fire to begin with, right? That that Agni in our belly um, burns and illuminates and helps us to assimilate, absorb, transform, 
um, and integrate our nutrition as well as our experiences and our, our sensory input. Um, and uh, it's, you know, it's vital to our health and well-being. And again, there is no Agni without breath. When you're speaking of Ama, Ama is, is more than inflammation. Mm -hmm. It is, in other words, the body needs a certain amount of inflammation or fat to carry signals and electrical currents so that we can hold a lot of thoughts and have an enduring mind and a lot of resiliency. And there's a balance to how much inflammation every person based on their age, what they want to do, you know, should have. Is AMA something where we need a little bit of it? Or is there something we just want to eviscerate all AMA from the energetic container? Yeah, I mean, AMA is toxin. And so, okay. yeah, yeah, we want it out of the body. Um, and like you were saying, you know, um, having the fat tissue um, in the body, it, it protects the nervous system, right? It feeds the brain. Um, we want good fats. And, and like you just said, we need those layer of fats. They're protective and nourishing to the body um, and can also be reserve energy, um, which again, we need Agni to assimilate our, our reserve tanks as well. Um, but AMA is something that we definitely want to go out. It's a byproduct of breaking down any kind of waste. And there's also, we, you know, we talk a lot about tongue scraping. Um, if you're all familiar, sometimes you wake up in the morning and you take a look in your mouth and you have a thick white coating on the back of your tongue. Some days more than others. Sometimes you'll have none. Um, some days a little bit more. And that's actually what happens is whatever we've eaten the day before, if it doesn't get fully absorbed and excreted by our body, it will actually surface on the tongue. And we have a temporary opportunity to actually take the side of a spoon or a tongue scraper, which you can purchase just about anywhere in any grocery store, health food store, online, um, pretty much anywhere and scrape the AMA off your tongue. You can actually see it. It is a sticky substance. Um, sometimes it gets a little yellowish or brownish, um, but mostly it's white and it's very sticky. You'll notice that it's actually easier. We're talking about Agni and heat and transformation. And maybe some of you have done this. Ed, I know you're a tongue scraper and your wife is a tongue scraper. Um, you sometimes need hot water to actually melt it. Um, it takes heat to actually break it down. It is thick and sticky and cool. Um, and so again, we want that Agni to, to break that down, but there's not just physical Agni that can deposit in our joints. Um, that plaque of Agni can accumulate around the nerves and it's what becomes a lot of autoimmune disorders like MS plaque and, um, plaques in the brain and the nervous system. We see plaque on our teeth, plaque in our arteries. Um, that is when AMA accumulates in the body and how AMA happens is when Agni is disrupted. So when you know, digestive fire is disrupted, then we can enter into a state of AMA where we begin to accumulate toxins in our body. Um, and not only can we accumulate physical toxin, physical AMA, like the white sticky um, stuff that accumulates on the tongue, there is mental and emotional AMA as well. 
And so, especially in our culture right now, and after the year and a half of a pandemic that we've just had and living in such ambiguity of not being able to see around the corner and all of us collectively experiencing something we've never experienced before and trying to navigate that and figure it out, it was quite an intense time and it still is for a lot of people. And when we are faced with a lot of mental information, with a lot of strong emotion, if our Agni, our cellular Agni and our mother Agni and our enteric nervous system, the gut brain, is not strong enough to digest that, um, then we can accumulate our mental and emotional charges and experiences in our body right alongside with the physical waste and toxins that we accumulate. And so in the healing process, as we breathe, as we build our Agni, our body starts to actually release the toxins. And just like any, any excretory system, those, those pipes can get clogged. And so we need to keep that Agni really, really strong so that as we're navigating life, as we are trying to skillfully be in relationship with whatever life brings us and to do that well, to do it skillfully, to do it with right perception, um, we need that fire. We need that fire of transformation and clarity to break that down. And so it's been really tough for a lot of folks lately um, because a lot of people are feeling like they're doing everything right and it's just not enough. They're feeling sluggish, they're feeling fatigued, um, they're feeling depressed um, and their usual tools and go-to, you know, whether it be running or meditation or yoga um, or dinner with friends, it's just, it hasn't been enough. It hasn't been helping them around the bend. And, um, you know, one message I would like to get out today is give yourself a break. You know, even if you're doing everything right and your Agni is strong, it just may not be big enough to digest, you know, the ambiguous trauma that we have all endured over the past, you know, 18 months or so. It's a lot. Wow. It takes time. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Folks need to give themselves some slack and give themselves permission as they reroute themselves and take that next beautiful step of growth in their life as we're almost released out of our mental and physical quarantine. Could you Absolutely. explain a little bit while we segued into this, the, the dance between Agni and Ama and healthy immunity so mm -hmm. we don't get sick? How does Ayurveda take a look at that? Everything starts in digestion. Um, immunity is in the gut, um, our immune system. And so the way that Ayurveda, um, the lens which we perceive um, immunity is through right digestion. So again, coming back to Agni and Prana, um, again, Prana is that vital animating life force, but it's more than that. Prana is literally intelligence, it's consciousness, it's energy. Prana moves everything. Um, and it is the occupier of space. And so when low Agni or variable Agni, an Agni that likes to go up and down all the time, that isn't consistently strong and balanced, um, can create some opportunity um, for our body to be susceptible to some pathogens. And, you know, immunity, and so we can't get sick. There's there's saying sick is a, it's a big umbrella, right? Um, and so just sticking with balance and imbalance, right? Um, sometimes we can be imbalanced and technically be sick and we just don't know it. We're fatigued. And that's our body. It's our digestion 
and our physiological processes working really hard to bring us back into balance, maybe before we have any identifying symptoms of disease. It just sort of surfaces as fatigue. So our body's always fighting for us. But again, at the root of good immunity or a good immune system is our gut. It's the microbiome in our gut, the bacteria that are fighting for us, not against us, the neurotransmitters that actually help us, again, right perception and to actually be able to um, grab some joy out of life so it doesn't always feel like a job. That's part of our immunity as well. And our strength is the ability to experience joy. Um, and balance emotion emotionally. And so again, it all comes back to Agni and the ability to assimilate what we're experiencing and what we're nourishing ourselves with. So breathing plays a major role in the dance between Agni and Ama. And we have this amazing thoracic diaphragm. We have another diaphragm at the pelvic floor creating that beautiful barrel between the solar plexus and the pelvic floor. And then we have another diaphragm in the throat and the amazing lymph system that we have installed around these amazing lymph nodes. And then we have this other amazing nerve called the vagus nerve, which mm -hmm. is closely connected to the movement of the diaphragm and the health of our gastrointestinal organs. Can, can you share with us some, some breathing strategies that you've had success with, with yourself and clients in that fashion? Yeah, sure. Um, and the beautiful thing, and we were talking about how this is all connected, um, working with the breath is such a simple way because you always have it with you. If you don't have your breath, you've got much bigger problems um, than Agni um, and, and digestion. And so the number one thing um, is diaphragmatic breathing. Um, diaphragmatic breathing is not a pranayama. It's not a breath restraint or breath control. It's actually our innate birthright, the ability to breathe deep, smooth, quiet, continuous, and even. Um, it's our ability to move air um, in and out of our body, which is the physical expression of prana, our life force. No breath, no life. And so diaphragmatic breath is um, the movements of the diaphragms that Ed referred to. Um, one on the pelvic floor, one here at the solar plexus, and one in the throat. Um, the one that you need to know about the most is the diaphragm around the solar plexus, that big umbrella of a muscle, um, which is the breathing muscle. Yeah, it's the powerhouse. And so very, very simply, um, diaphragmatic breathing is your best friend. 20 minutes of diaphragmatic breath a day will literally change your life. That's not a bumper sticker. It's not, um, a, it's, it's absolute science. It is absolutely true. And one of the best ways to experience diaphragmatic breath is actually just by laying down on the floor on your belly so that you can really feel that muscle. And you can cross your arms and lay your head down and lay down on your belly on the floor, get yourself comfortable and start taking a few breaths and just become aware of the breath, become aware of how it's moving, be aware of the quality of your thoughts, be aware of where the breath is moving and where you feel contraction and start looking for those five qualities of a good, healthy diaphragmatic breath. Um, the first of 
of all in a diaphragmatic breath is that the breath is smooth, that there's no roughness along the channel of the breath is the first thing we wanna look at and just work to start to smooth that out. And the amazing thing about the breath is that prana, the life force is carried on the breath. The breath is the physical expression. It is the gross manifestation of prana, of our life force. And so just by saying, ooh, I have some roughness here, I need to smooth out the breath, Prana discerns that and will literally go to any roughness in the channel of the breath and it'll start healing that for you. Ed said before, the body is self-healing if we give it what we need. Um, you know, you wouldn't try to drive your car without gas, oil or tires and yet we ask our body to perform and take us through life every single day without actually giving what it needs. Um, and most critically, oxygen, you know, the metabolic precursor to every every metabolic you know process in the body and so looking for the breath to be smooth looking for the breath to be even we want to balance our parasympathetic and our sympathetic nervous system our system of fight um, flight and freeze with our system of rest and digest heal and repair um, the sympathetic nervous system gets a really bad rap these days but it's actually really vital we want that to be strong strong and active. We want it to be able to step in and take over critical processes in times of need and stress, but we don't want to live in it, which so many of us are doing. We're bathing in those stress hormones, which can be really, really um, dangerous all the time, actually. Yeah, <laughs> exciting. Yeah. Um, and so we want to balance that out. And in, uh, just a simple, simple way to do that is to even out the breath, you know, to make sure that your inhale and your exhale are of equal length. And that's going to stimulate those two sides of the nervous system equally. And so you can think of the sympathetic nervous system as the gas pedal and the parasympathetic nervous system as the brake. You wouldn't want to drive your car with only your gas pedal and you certainly wouldn't want to drive your car with only a brake. We need both to be in balance and to get where we're going just like we do in our central nervous system. So we want the breath to be even. So we also want the breath to be quiet. If you're if you're healing, hearing a lot of noise, wheezing, crackling, that is showing dis-ease in the body. We now know that Agni is disrupted. Ama is a state in our body. We are now, we have toxins accumulating in the body and it's showing up in the breath, the most subtle level. So if you feel wheezing, heaviness, contraction, difficulty getting a breath, difficulty evening out the breath, smoothing the breath, if there's a lot of noise in the breath, then you definitely want to take a look at, you know, um, how, you know, your what your lifestyle choices are and how they're affecting you because there is dis-ease, imbalance in the body. And the first place we're gonna see it is the breath. Um, so yeah, smooth, even, quiet. We want the breath to be continuous, no pause between the inhale and the exhale, the exhale and the inhale. And one thing I see in a lot of upper level, C-level um, corporate, um, executives is that there is a long pause and it is not voluntary. They are not meaning to do it. It's an involuntary pause and then really strong letting go of the breath from inhale to exhale or exhale to inhale. It's a really difficult transition between the breath. Again, it's a deep sign of stress in the very beginning of disease in the body. It's oh, very absolutely. Unconscious. Yep. And you know yeah, who else? No, it's funny. Like, you know, who else breathes like that is the elderly. 
And here we are, we have these yeah. dynamic business professionals, they've been dynamic their whole life. And they have this unconscious breathing pattern that I don't normally see in my clients until they're in assisted living. Amazing. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, and high shallow breathers and um, and breathing through the mouth, right? Um, the mouth is for eating, the nose is for breathing. That apparatus was specifically built for breathing. It warms, purifies, and moistens the air for the lungs. The mouth does not. In fact, um, BKS Iyengar, a really famous yoga instructor that came over here from India, um, who, you know, preached nasal breathing and the nasal apparatus and the sinuses um, that the nose was for breathing and the mouth was for breathing, was, was quoting, saying, I'll put cake up your nose, um, see how you do, uh, if you want to breathe through your mouth and uh, and eat through your nose, if you want to change that around. And I, I always think of him and I always think of that statement and how uncomfortable it would be to try to breathe with cake in my nose and breathing through my mouth. So. Um, yeah, it's, um, it's critical and, um, high chest breathing is a sign of stress. It's a sign of chronic stress. And so many of us, um, are breathing high and shallow in the upper chest and moderately to severely, uh, stimulating our sympathetic nervous system. So there's this amazing, you know, a lot of the information that we're trying to bring to the masses isn't something you're going to see in social media. You're not going to see it uh, in bright lights, big city. You have to do a little bit of research. And that's why I love yeah. speaking about this topic with you. Can you tell us a little bit about this amazing minor nervous system called the enteric nervous system and its role in Agni and AMA function? Um, yeah, a little bit. Um, the enteric nervous system, otherwise known as the gut brain, um, is a patch of neurons or actually part of our neurologic system that exists in the intestine. Um, and so it kind of gives credence to when we say I have a gut feeling, right? And so that is where all of our 95%, um, actually 95% of our serotonin uptake is. Um, and it is also where we assimilate our experience. Um, it's, you know, that part of the nervous system. And it's also deeply connected to our intuition and critical that it is healthy. And it's also connected to the vagus nerve, um, the cranial nerve that Ed spoke about before dialogue with the diaphragm. And so between our our brain that sits inside of our skull, um, the enteric nervous system in our gut and the vagus nerve that runs between this large cranial nerve that also, by the way, runs alongside our psoas muscles, um, these two big hip flexors that run alongside um, this, the cranial nerve as well, the vagus nerve, all of them um, are in dialogue with the body about our state of stress. And so, um, they're all talking to one another and our breath is intimately connected with how we are assimilating, how that digestive fire is working, how we're taking in sensory information, how we're navigating our experiences. And so again, our enteric nervous system can only work properly if our digestive system is actually online. So if you've ever noticed, if you have digestive issues, especially stagnation or constipation um, or variability in your evacuation that you can start to get 
brain fog. And that is a direct response of a sluggish enteric nervous system or response there in the gut brain um, from our intestinal motility being sluggish um, and not evacuating waste. Um, because prana lives in space, it is air. Um, like I said, prana is the, the, the gross manifestation of, or, or the breath is the gross manifestation of prana and prana, um, will go wherever space is created. And so when we are assimilating, we're making room when we finally process a childhood trauma, an adverse childhood, um, experience, when we, um, get our head around something, when we, through our practice, through our healing, through our breath practices, begin to digest and transform, assimilate and integrate our experiences that we've held on to because they've been traumatic, or maybe we just didn't have time to truly process them in the moment because it was intense. Um, when we finally do that, we create space in our tissues. Ed had referred before that he believes the body has a memory and it holds on and it stores. And our subconscious mind is in the tissues, it's in the bodies. And I, I, I agree with you. Um, and as those fires start burning and they start burning brighter in each of our trillions of cells and we start assimilating the subconscious mind and the things that it holds on to, every single choice we make in this life is based on a, a past experience that we've already had. There's no new information. Um, our unconscious mind chooses for us before we're even conscious that we've made a choice. Um, and it's all pulled from our collective consciousness of experience that we've had in this lifetime and others, depending on your belief system, as well as our ancestral DNA that we carry. Um, it's reaching back and referencing what we know in order to make safe choices for us moving forward. It's a, it's a biohack, it happens in milliseconds. And when those things accumulate over time and we carry or suppress our emotions, our thoughts, our actions, our bodily functions, um, we start to carry those and we run out of space. It's like if you think of the body and the mind as a bucket and you just keep feeling it, filling it, filling it with life and you're not assimilating or processing any of it, there's no more space. There's no more space for life. There's no more space for healing. And at the root of all of that is healthy breath. If your lungs are not properly functioning, your agni, your digestive fire will not properly function. You will have brain fatigue, your digestion will get sluggish and slow, or it might even be too fast and inflamed to everybody is different and how it responds. But the body gets thrown into a state of imbalance. We accumulate ama, toxins, mental, emotional, and physical, and we run out of room. And it's really important to do this work, to do this healing work, to really understand the breath and how the body works between the dance of Agni, the accumulation of Ama toxins, and the use of prana through the use of breath and lung and heart health that affects every other system in the body, every single other system, the breath is fundamental. Um, and to be able to truly heal anything, whether it's a physical diagnosis or an emotional trauma, it is all the same. The body processes it all the same. There is no separation. And so it's absolutely vital um, that all of these systems, including the gut brain, and that's all kind of how it ties in. I know that I took a deep dive there, Ed, but did I answer your question? Uh, times 10. You know, what, I, what my experience has been that it, as soon as I improved my respiration, I improved my 
Agni. I improved my digestive yes. fire and I strengthened my immunity. And I could walk around in the dead of winter and my shorts outside, my body temperature would still be at 98.6. So it it was just an, an amazing process, this, this process of pranayama and, and how it interacts with stoking that sacred Agni while at the same time you're removing Ama. Let's switch gears for a second. You know, you're a transformational coach. You're pulling information. You're helping folks create change in their life. And when we look at the brain at the superficial level, we have the conscious brain, we have the subconscious brain, and we have the unconscious brain. And, you know, if life's a race, it's a race you want to come in last. So (laughs) when you think about how do we take this moment and how we perceive this moment And how can we use the energy of the body to help us go up and repattern old subconscious imprints and rewire the brain or allow the brain to become plastic so that we maybe see old events with a different visual perception or emotional quote? Yeah, the, um, you know, where healing gets effective um, and this work gets really effective is that we can actually, when you heal at the pranic level, and this is a misconception around alternative healing, energy healing. Um, I mean, really, yoga is energy healing. Pranayama is energy healing. Anything that works at the pranic level, the pranic layer of the body, the energy body, um, is when you heal at the pranic level, you actually get to heal the root of your imbalance. You're not just masking symptoms. You're not putting a bandaid on something. You're not just, you know, finding a way to sustain um, and work with what you have. You literally have the ability at that pranic level to heal the original wound, to work with the root imbalance, because that is where it was born is on the subtle level. And also that's where our intelligence is. Okay. And so we talked a little bit about the koshas. We talked a little bit about the fact that there are five layers to our existence of our being. Um, The first being the Anamaya Kosha, the food body, the actual physical body, um, which is where our digestive Agni sits in that digestive fire, which then is very closely related to the Pranamaya Kosha, the energy body, the pranic body, which is where healing occurs. Um, And it it actually um, saturates through every level of the body from the food body to the bliss body, um, which is the most subtle. Um, And then we have the Manamaya Kosha, the level of the outer mind, which is our sensory perception. And let's just stay with those three out of the five um, to answer your question. We're working with the physical body and the body does remember the body patterns. The body is basically a, um, a human crystal and it's programmable and um, it remembers there's muscle memory, but there's also cellular memory and um, it's necessary for survival. And so what happens is those things accumulate. We, we, the body and the mind like to do things with the past of least resistance. We don't like to really work hard. We want to conserve our energy. Um, and um, let me say that better. We are capable of really hard, effective work, but we don't like to, our nervous system will try to conserve energy and take the path of least resistance. Um, it doesn't want to work harder than it has to, right? Because it's all about survival. And so when we are doing something, 
the thing that we do the most repetitively actually builds neural pathways. And until recently, we actually believed that those patterns and those habits were solidified at what, age seven in adolescence, somewhere around there. And we now know through incredible science that the, the brain does have plasticity. It's incredibly resilient and we can reprogram and we can repattern. Um, but when, let's look at the brain, right, as a bucket, again, that is just filled with light and or, and filled, excuse me, with life. And we're, we've accumulated toxins that are starting to solidify and create plaque around those memories, around those habits, and they harden a little bit. And so when you think about, and relating this all back to the fire and breath, right? We always need, in order to stoke a fire, you have to have oxygen. Uh, fire thrives on oxygen. You have to have breath. And so the way that we reprogram the brain is we take that fullness. We take the fullness of life that has solidified over time through habit, through memory. Um, in yoga and Ayurveda, we call them samskaras and, and vasanas, a collection of influences that solidify and create our habits. And some habits are good. There are really good samskaras. There are really healthy neural pathways that are solidified in there. And then there are other ones that um, don't lend themselves to our health and well-being as much. And we want to be able to break those down. And the amazing thing is that they can, but they are solidified kind of in plaque. And those neural pathways, too, are strengthened. It's, it's where those neurons are firing consistently and unconsciously they are our go-to. We will choose those habits and those strong neural pathways without even being conscious of it. Our unconscious mind is one million times stronger. It's what drives your car from A to B when you don't remember how you got there. Um, the unconscious mind is in the, in the driver's seat. It's very, very strong. And so that's what it means to get conscious, to get conscious. When Ram Das said, be here now, and everybody said, well, what does that mean? You know, I have to be present. I have to clear my mind. I have to make it blank. That's impossible. Um, that's not what it means. It means being here now and being present, bringing your mind fully to something is about understanding what your unconscious is choosing. It's about getting conscious with the unconscious and the subconscious. It's about being present in the moment and being able to witness and observe what the mind is choosing for you at any given time. And then having the discernment and the discrimination to ask yourself, is this the choice I wanna make? And does it serve me? And how does it serve me? And how do I wanna change that? And then you make a different choice. And we need to apply heat and that's why the breath works. And that's why Agni is so important because when you have something that's solidified, think about ice, think about coconut oil, right? Anything that becomes a solid when it's cooler, um, we apply heat to it and it melts. You know, you have some congestion and you go for a, a brisk walk and all of a sudden your nose is running because that solid mucus that was in your sinuses is now heated and liquefied and it makes an exit out of your nose. You take butter and put it in a hot pan and all of a sudden it's this liquid that you can kind of roll all over. It's the same way with ama that has accumulated with strong emotional charges and solidified traumas in our body, in our cells that actually solidify, they crystallize and 
they become these filters, these this coloring that we perceive our life through, and it's misperception. Um, it colors our experiences and it keeps us from discerning reality. And so through conscious awareness, mindfulness practices of sitting, meditation, just being aware, just simply sitting quiet and still for three minutes and just observing what your mind is doing, the sensations in your body, the rhythm of your breath, life-changing. You can become aware of what the mind is choosing for you. And once you're aware of what the mind is choosing for you, you can then make different choices that are in alignment with your integrity and your intentions for change to become the best version of yourself, to be able to show up for others, to be able to heal what needs healing, to make space for life so that you can say yes to things and life doesn't feel so overwhelming. Um, we apply, you know, we apply heat, we apply consciousness, um, and a support system, of course, you know, we don't want to be doing this alone. Um, but that's how we, that's how we reprogram. We get conscious of what we're doing and we give ourselves some space and some compassion and kindness and forgiveness and start making some better choices for ourselves based on that and creating new habits. That is so powerful. I'm going to go out and create some change. <laughs> now, you know, it's really amazing that I found in the pranayam practice is that one of the amazing gifts of the pranayam is, you know, we're talking about the subconscious drives and we're talking about the ego, the lower ego. And anytime you want to go in and try to change that lower ego, there's all sorts of resistance or you're going to beg or you borrow or you push or you pull. If yeah. you have a, strong therapeutic pranayama practice like Beth Sewell can teach you. When you come out of that practice, all of a sudden you're beyond the gatekeeper. You, you have instantaneously, you didn't have to beg, borrow, or steal to fight that's with right. yourself to find a moment of translucent mental love that's available <laughs> to you. The pranayama, the prana, the balance of the agni, the removal of the ama, all of a sudden without any mental awareness of it you're beyond the gate of where yes. you normally make decisions in your life and then you can move the pieces that you want to move effortlessly yeah so yes. amazing it is and all of that happens with your breath it's that simple it, yeah. you know and the body i just went through an experience last month the body listens like at an unbelievable level to your conversations. And we're not even aware. The body hears everything. About a month ago, I decided to have my knee replaced. And my, my body heard that. And for like the last six months, my body has been fighting like heck to keep me mobile, to keep that knee lubricated, to give it range of motion, to fire my quad and calf. And as soon as my body heard that we were having surgery, it shut down the knee. And I could barely walk into the surgery because the, the brain and the body heard what was going on and it shut down any additional help for this knee because it knew I was getting more help. Yeah. I just thought yes. that was amazing that the body heard that conversation. Yeah, you committed. You know, and that's the thing about putting energy and action behind an intention is, you know, once you do that, the universe is conspiring for you 
and we are part of that universe. We're part of that multiverse. There is no separation. And so your body in, you know, a kindred spirit with the universe and all of the molecules that coalesce to create our experience came together and said, okay, he's committed to, to a new knee. And, you know, we don't, we don't have to do this. And that was, that was the biochemical cascade that happened in your body. And all of that shut down, right? As soon as you made that decision and it happened kind of without your conscious awareness, right? Right. Um, so when, you know, mind blowing. How intelligent. Yeah. And there was, yeah. And, and, you know, that had to be hard for you to witness and experience too, because if those of you who know Ed, he, he rows, he skis, he hikes, and, you know, that hinge joint is vital to all of your favorite sports. And so I'm so happy that you had that experience and you came out walking and swinging and educating people on medical tourism and had, you know, being an authority and an advocate for yourself to, um, you know, find out what's behind these decisions and how to make them effectively. And again, I'll actually say that had you not had your practice, had you not had right relationship and right perception of how this can go and what you need to do, your experience would not have been as exceptional as it was, which is how the majority of our people, especially in this country, end up in the healthcare trap of having no advocate of, you know, having procedures that go awry or they don't have, um, you know, a recovery the way that you have, um, you know, it's all in how we see the world, the lens that we're looking for and through. And so with this healing, with the breath, with pranayama practices, something as similar as simple, excuse me, as diaphragmatic breath, alternate nostril breathing, um, some of the, you know, fire practices that stoke fire that you can talk about some other time, or you can, um, you know, find a teacher to explore that. Um, there's lots of us out there can make a huge difference in how you experience anything from a knee replacement to a job interview. It affects everything. It affects all. It's, it's all about right perception. So this amazing breath, this breath control, this amazing ancient art of pranayama is the primary motor for raising Agni and lowering Ama. Is there anything Absolutely. you want to share with our audience before we wrap up today, Beth? Yeah, and it's in the name, right? The most important thing, the strongest Agni in the body. We talked about the mother Agni in the belly, but the strongest, most powerful type of Agni, a type of fire is Pran Agni. It's the fire of Prana. It's the fire of energy itself, of intelligence itself. And the way that we bring that in the body is through the breath. So yes, breath stokes Agni and helps us burn and evacuate, assimilate Ama, um, break it down and excrete it from the body, get rid of, getting rid of those toxins. Um, but prana is the supreme intelligence. It is divine and it is our birthright. And you're, you know, God, the God of your own understanding, source, creator, consciousness um, gave us the respiratory apparatus to have that within us. So when we talk about everything you need to know to make the next right choice, to do the next right thing, everything you need to heal is within you. It's 100% truth. It's again, not a bumper sticker cliche. Your breath is the root to all healing. And 
Um, I'm a shamanic healing practitioner. Um, I do energy work. I'm an intuitive practitioner. I do intuitive readings. I pull down information from the ethers to help people, um, you know, put together protocols and a path that is effective to create lasting change. But all of my clients will tell you that if they come to me, even though I have these this big tool bag and some of them are, are pretty advanced, I will always 100% of the time, 100% of the time, start with the breath and checking out to see how you're breathing and how you're assimilating prana and how you're pranifying your body and how you're utilizing your innate intelligence. And that's where it all starts. It's available to each and every single one of us all day long, every day. So we just need to take our power back and educate ourselves about prana, agni, ama. Um, and if we just keep our fingers on those pulses, you know, we're doing all right. You know, the Agni weakens, the Ama comes up. It usually happens from weak mental boundaries or weak perceptions about ourselves. And we spoke earlier about how Prana knows exactly where we're armored up and it goes there without any conscious command. You know, and it's important for folks to know that inside each breath in and out is a set of boundaries. And if you can learn to control your breath, breathing through your nose, strong diaphragm, a lot of agni, low heart rate, the boundaries that will be presented to you for personal growth will be marked very clearly where you can understand it and those boundaries cannot be broken. So everyone, if you okay. know someone, child, adult, senior citizen who's having some health issues or would like to transform their life, that's Sewell, and the link to her uh, practice will be with this particular podcast, and I suggest to contact Beth because she was great with my kids when we were younger. She's great with adults. Anyone who's had any type of suffering, Beth is someone who can create a shortcut, well, maybe not a shortcut, but get you on the right step so you can be feeling really great about yourself again. And it was a great honor to speak with you today, Beth. Is there anything else you want to say? to our audience today. Uh, thank you for joining us um, and for dipping your toes in the water, for having an interest in your personal health and well-being through breath. And um, thank you, Ed and Wendy, for hosting. I love you guys and miss you. Um, and just thank you so much for spending that time with me. I really appreciate it. Well, continue your greatness. Give your family a big hug from us. And we look forward to reconnecting with you and doing another one of these really soon. Thanks so much, Beth. <laughs> Thank I love you, guys. You, honey. Bye bye. I love you guys too. Bye. Bye bye, honey. <laughs>